Indie Cider, where we go beyond the game and meet the developers behind today's indie hits. Hello, and welcome to the premiere episode of the Indie Cider Podcast. My name is Ken Gagney, and I'll be your host. On each episode of this show, we'll be talking with an indie game developer about the decisions and processes that went into their games. Now, what is an indie game? Well, there are many different definitions. Some might say that it's a certain aesthetic, that it uses sprites instead of polygons, that it looks like an 8 or a 16-bit game. Other people might say it's based on platform. You're more likely to find an indie game on mobile or Ouya as opposed to Xbox or PC. Some might say it's about development, that it uses tools like Unity or it's made in small groups. The definition I'm going to be using, at least for now, is strictly financial. An indie game is simply one that is self-published. That means that the developers have complete creative control and have not sold the intellectual property rights to a publisher, marketer, or other outside investor or capitalist. This means that they are able to make the game that they envisioned without sacrificing any aspect for commercial viability. Now certainly developers want their games to sell, but they are not beholden to a certain stakeholder or outside party. They're only beholden to themselves and to their audience. Because of this, I find that indie games are able to take a lot more risks and challenge us in ways that mainstream games may not necessarily. Now, even within this definition, there are broad ranges. It could be a single developer working in his spare time in addition to his day job to put out a game that really interests him. Or it could be a huge team of hundreds of people working full-time with millions of dollars of crowdfunding. It could be anything from a web-based Flash game to Broken Age from Double Fine. These are all, in my definition, indie games. Now, I still love mainstream games. I have my Xbox One, my PlayStation 4, my Wii U, and I just ordered an Ouya. I love first-party games from Microsoft, Sony, Nintendo, and big publishers like, like Capcom, Konami, Activision, and Electronic Arts. But I also love indie games, and I feel that without the marketing and public relations machine behind them that those mainstream publishers have, we don't often get to directly hear their voices. That's what we'll be doing on the Indie Cider Podcast. This show will air the first and third Wednesday of every month, and in months where there's a fifth Wednesday, you'll get a bonus episode. If you want to see the game that we're talking about, you can find the exact same developer interviews you find in this audio podcast paired with a Let's Play of their game on YouTube. Just go to IndieCider.com. I-N-D-I-E-S-I-D-E-R.com. If you have any questions or comments, please feel free to send feedback on my website or on my YouTube channel. I do read every single comment, even if I don't necessarily respond to them. Or you can tweet at me at GameBits, G-A-M-E-B-I-T-S. With that said, let's get to our first interview. This week we're talking about Gone, which is a free download for Mac or Windows from YouAreGone.com. It is a first-person exploration game with no combat, similar to Gone Home. Except this game is a mental illness simulator. It attempts to simulate what it's like to live with one of three mental illnesses. Depression, anxiety, and post-traumatic stress disorder. Now this is the game that inspired me to launch this podcast. I had the format in mind already, but only as a one-off. As an ongoing series, this game inspired me because I thought I could do a Let's Play of Gone, but it raises so many more questions than it answers. You can't just play a mental illness simulator and say, oh, I get it. There's a story behind this game, and I want to know what it is. Now, this game was primarily developed by Logan Harrington. You can find her online at loganharrington.com or on Twitter at Logo12H. And I'm honored to have her join me today. Hi, Logan. Hello. 
So I just finished the game, and there were a whole bunch of names in the credits, but yours came first. What was your role in creating Gone? I was actually um, the designer, the original creator. I came up with the idea of the game. Um, I found another student to help me out, and then later two more students. And I was the pretty much the creator, and I wrote most of it, and I did almost all of the art. Wow. So you, you mentioned some other students. Was this a school project? Yep, this was a senior project at WPI, and I worked with an animator, uh, a composer, and then a programmer. Excellent. WPI is my own alma mater. Nice. Now, so this would have been your MQP? Yes. Your major qualifying project, and you were in the interactive media and game design major? Yep. Excellent. They didn't have that when I was there. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. <laughs> so what made you think to make a mental illness simulator? Uh, it's always something that I've had an idea for, and I never really knew how to make it or how to approach it, but I had the idea of hey, maybe I can do this for my my final game, my senior project, so I decided to go for it, and I found a student that also really wanted to to work on it, so that's pretty much how it started, is I just had the idea for a long time. I've known a lot of people that went through mental illnesses, and I thought that it might be a really good idea to make a game that shows people what it's like to live with a mental health affliction and... Hopefully people will understand um, how they live their lives. So is this game part of a genre known as empathy games? I would say so, yeah. It fits pretty well in that genre. And is that a subgenre of serious games? Uh, yeah, I think, I think so. That, that makes about sense. Okay. So how did you choose which three mental illnesses to portray in this game? Depression was definitely supposed to be in it. Um, I guess you could say that, I'm not really sure. I know a lot of people who went through depression, so it was definitely the number one choice for us to do. And it was actually pretty easy to come up with a metaphor or a room of how to simulate it. So we went with that, and then we decided, we had actually a list of several mental illnesses, and we went through it and we tried to figure out well, what would be a good simulation idea, how could we, how could we translate this into like a physical space. And anxiety seemed to be another one that was pretty easy to actually simulate. We talked to a therapist at the school who gave us a pretty good sim um, metaphor for the pulling of the rope. So we went with that idea, and we actually built that into our game, and we worked off of his idea. And then um, post-traumatic stress disorder is also uh, a big disease that a lot of people have. So we decided to work with that idea as well, and we worked with... Um, another psychology student who was kind of a consultant for a game and a few of the therapists and counselors at WPI who helped us come up with a simulation idea or design for what it would kind of feel like to have post-traumatic stress disorder and how to translate that into a situation or physical space. Now, in the Dungeon of Depression, is it my imagination or are the controls a little wonky down here? Yeah, so one of the game mechanics was, so the player moves a little slower, is a little bit more sluggish to kind of um, simulate the feeling how depression kind of keeps you down. Uh, you feel more sluggish, you're lazy, you don't want to get out of bed. It's kind of that feeling of um, kind of despair. Okay. And the way you get out of the dungeon is by picking up the album of family photos. Yes. What, what, it seems to me like most people I know who struggle with some sort of mental illness don't have the closest connections with their families. They seem actually pretty frustrated with them. 
Uh, so the idea behind the book of memories was that um, your family and your friends are actually a huge part of helping you through your mental illness, and I know they've definitely helped me. So the idea was that to reconnect with the outside world, you reconnect with your memories and your friends and your family, and that's kind of what the book represents is your your reconnection with your life uh, before or maybe even during you suffered from this disease. I see. Now, you mentioned you worked with some psychologists. What other kind of research did you do to figure out how to represent these mental illnesses? Uh, we talked to a bunch of um, different people to help formulate ideas. We talked to people who had the, the illnesses. We got some ideas from them, some feedback, a psychology student, some psychology professors, um, a bunch of um, therapists and consultants from the school. So we did quite a bit of research before we even dove into this project. We talked to as many people as we could. Hmm. Now, I, I just got out of the Dungeon of Depression. I'm back in the main antechamber, and I know, just noticed something I haven't noticed before, which is on one of the pillars. It looks like uh, somebody's measuring their height. Yes, I um, just put in a few touches into the house to make it feel like it's been lived in and to make the player have a sense of that the, there is someone, I guess, kind of living there. It's kind of little Easter eggs that you can find. I see. So the initials on these height marks, one of them is LH. That would be you? Yeah. Yeah, it is. And are, the, uh, are those your team members on this game or other family members? Oh, uh, they're probably team members. I can't exactly remember what initials I put. It was a while ago. Yeah, I mean, I figure if they were all relatives, they'd all in an H, and instead we have S C C R. Gotcha. So, what is the purpose of these rooms that don't represent mental illnesses? So, the purpose of those rooms, they're, we refer to them as buffer rooms. They're rooms in between the others that um, have the mental illness simulation, and they're to kind of let the player explore and relax if they um, feel like they need to, so you don't go from one room to the other and feel overwhelmed. They're also to represent that not everyone is affected all the time by their mental illness. It's kind of an up and down. You have good days and you have bad days, so it kind of represents that you still have this life to live and sometimes you're not kind of dragged down all the time, but sometimes it's up and down. Gotcha. Now I see some pretty realistic touches, again, to make this place look like it's lived in. I see a copy of The Towers, which is WPI's school paper. Yep. And this looks like you gave yourself an A-plus on a paper on the fridge? Yeah, it's my IQP paper, actually. Oh, excellent. So that'd be like your junior thesis. Yeah. And then we have a calendar over here, and somebody has a birthday coming up. Yeah, I think I I was pretty much the sole person that worked on all the textures. So I got bored and decided, you know, I throw a bunch of stuff in there. So I think my birthday's on there. I put Halloween and then some random other things. Mm-hmm. Now, one thing I didn't notice on my previous playthroughs, there are a couple of clocks in the building, but they don't always show the same time. The one in the kitchen, it looks like it's quarter past seven, and then the other one, it's more like 10.30. So does that represent how you can just lose time when you're challenging with these mental illnesses? Yeah, that's a pretty good representation, is you might not be able to tell exactly what time it is. It doesn't really matter the time, it just matters um, what's going on in your mind. Okay. Now, in the... Whoops. Trying to open this door here. There we go. Now, so in the anxiety room, it almost looks like there's somebody pulling the rope at the other end. Is that yep. right? And who or what is that? Uh, so that's the first time the player really comes into contact with the demon that haunts the house, and he's pulling you towards the fire with the rope that you can't let go of. And um, 
it's the demon that you see later on in the game. Um, originally, we wanted the demon to be seen across, but um, because of time constraints, we couldn't get the demon's hands to sync properly with the rope, so the animation just doesn't look right. So to to fix it, to do like a, a really easy fix, we just made the smoke thicker, so it would be harder to see. That works for me. Yeah. So who would you say is your target audience for this game? Um, my target audience would definitely be people who might not necessarily suffer from these illnesses, but maybe know people who do suffer. Um, it could definitely be siblings of people who suffer, or maybe even parents. Um, it could even be people who don't even know anyone with this illness. The purpose of the game is so that the player kind of leaves with an understanding of how these people live their lives and the fact that there's nothing they can really do but continue to fight and fight until they reach a good day. Mm -hmm. What do people who have these illnesses think about this game? Have they played it? Yeah, we've definitely shown it to a couple people and they... I've heard several good things about how it really does represent what they go through. So it was um, pretty successful on my part. Um, I felt a pretty good sense of success that we worked really hard and we tried to get these as close as possible and people actually told us that they were a pretty good representation. Oh, good. Now, in the post-traumatic stress disorder corridor, I mean, that is a mental illness that I usually associate with uh, veterans who are coming back from war. Is it more commonplace than that? Uh, yeah, I think it, it's definitely more in military routes, but there are people who suffer from post-traumatic stress disorder who have never seen combat. It can really be anything from losing a relative to being through a traumatic experience that anyone can um, fall under post-traumatic stress disorder. Wow. Okay. Yeah, our original idea for the corridor was for it to be like a military simulation, but it proved to be too technically difficult, so we had to change our approach. So tell me about the final room where... I encounter the demon head-to-head. -head. What's that supposed to represent? The final room represents your sort of final battle with your disease, and it represents you facing your, your demons once and for all. And the point of the game mechanic is that you go up to the demon and it pushes you away, and it says, try again and don't give up, or something along those lines. And so if you try again three times in a row, the monster will eventually die, and this sort of represents that if you just don't give up and you just keep trying and trying and um, just keep going at it, eventually you'll you'll be better and you'll you'll like live a better life. Now, it's certainly an optimistic interpretation. I, I mean, I probably some people would say it's not that easy. Yeah, it's definitely not that easy. Yeah. Uh, now, do you think that you might add more? mental illnesses to a future version of this game? Will there be a future version? Um, as of right now, I don't have a team to help me. Uh, the team that I work with is pretty much moved on. The animator is actually going to law school, and the programmer that worked with me, I think, is trying to find a full-time job or is going back to school. I'm not sure, but um, I'm not quite sure what the future of this game is. I would like to keep working on it, and if I do, I will definitely add more and more rooms and try to really refine what I have now. Any ideas what those rooms might represent? Um, I think the next ones on the list were, um, what's it called? Bipolar disorder. 
Uh huh. And then the next one could possibly be anorexia. Oh wow, that would be a, that would be a very powerful addition to this game. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Now, one thing I was curious about, you know, this being a game where you're sort of wandering around a house in a first-person view, was the name of the game at all inspired by Gone Home? Actually, no. I've never played that game, and I didn't really know much about it when I made this. Um, the name Gone actually represents the state that a person is in when they're under the influence of their mental illness. They're kind of gone from the world. They don't function how they should. Their interests are gone. They, they're fatigued. They really just don't want to live their life. They're just gone. They're a different person. So that's really where the name comes from. And I've been asked that question a lot. And it's, um, it does, the, I, I will admit, the game does look very similar to Gone Home with its style and kind of environment. So I have been thinking about if I do continue this project, I might have to change the name. Yeah, if, if for no other reason than SEO. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that too. So you mentioned how your team has split up. What is it that you're doing nowadays? Um, nowadays, I'm going to start working for WPI, making simulations for online graduate courses. Oh, excellent. Yeah. So continuing with the educational theme, I notice in the corner of this game it says for educational use only. Does that mean I shouldn't be having fun playing it? Oh, no, you can, you can definitely play it. I think all that means is that um, I think that means I can't sell it unless I get the rights. From who? I think WPI, because technically WPI owns it. Oh, how interesting. Yeah. Hmm. Okay, so uh, I think that's all I have to say about Gone. Is there anything that you wish I'd asked you? Um, not that I can think of. Okay. Well, let's end on a light note. Tell me what you're playing these days. Uh, what I'm playing? Yeah. Uh, I haven't really gotten around to playing very many video games because I've been so busy. But um, I've played Transistor, and Transistor is pretty awesome. Oh, I've heard wonderful things about that. Isn't that from the same team that made... Bastion. Yes, Bastion. Yeah, I think it's Supergiant Games. They're a pretty awesome studio. Excellent. Yeah, I loved Bastion. I'll have to go check out Transistor. Yeah, definitely. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. And thank you to everybody who tuned in for this premiere episode of the IndieCider podcast. Please subscribe in iTunes or YouTube to make sure that you get the latest and greatest inside look at indie games. We'll be back in two weeks. This has been IndieCider, a GameBits production. Find more episodes, read our blog, or send feedback at IndieCider.com.